we believe that, that Jesus is the answer for life. I talked about this at the beginning of the morning, but, but it's, it's big. We believe that, that he's God. We believe that he's exactly who he, he says that he is, that he is the answer for life. And so it's kind of a spoiler alert because almost every message that we give, every conversation that we have always ends up in, with Jesus. Like we always get to Jesus because we believe that he is that answer. And we love to study his word. We love to study the Bible. Not because it's some old book that, that has some, some interesting perspective on life or anything like that, but because, because we believe it's the word of God. And we believe that there are things that God reveals to us in scripture that we can never understand apart from what he reveals. We can never come to these conclusions on our own. We can never fathom how good he is, how big he is, how powerful he is, if it wasn't for what he's revealed to us. And something that I believe very much is that you should never settle for what a person can observe when you can understand what God can reveal. Never settle for observation over revelation. And so we want to ask God to speak to us through his word this morning, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to start a new study. We're calling this study Resurrected, and it's a study of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read that together here in just a second, but let me kind of, let me kind of set this up a little bit by asking a rhetorical question. And I ask this rhetorically because I don't want, to, I don't want to, to get any of you in trouble. Like if there happens to be someone here who is in the witness protection program, I don't know if that's true or not. I really shouldn't know if that's true or not. So like, don't raise your hand, go, yeah, me, because that like, dude, you're, don't do that. But I, I wouldn't want to put you on the spot. And so rhetorically, I, I'm curious, just think this, and, and maybe some people are with me. Have you ever, have you ever faked your death? Like, has anyone here ever, ever faked your own death before? You, again, you don't have to answer, it's rhetorical. I have, I faked my death one time. I was 10 years old. And I'll tell you this story, I didn't witness something from like the mafia, um, just out of curiosity, because I don't know, some weeks, is my little brother here? Aaron, are you here somewhere? And if you are, is he here? My little brother didn't come to church this morning. I'll call him as soon as this is done. Uh, well, cool, I can tell this however I want. This is awesome. I can give you the, 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 the unabridged version. So here's, here's what happened. I was 10 years old. When I was 10, my little brother was like three and a half, four. And uh, he's an awesome guy. He's one of my best friends. I respect him. He's a good man. He has great character. When he was three and a half, horrible human being. Horrible person. Just the, just the worst, okay? He was the worst. And so I was about seven years older than him, which was good because had we been two years apart, like the blows that we would have given each other, the bones that would have been broken, like we would have, we would have been at each other's throats day and night because we just didn't get along for a long time. But fortunately, I was so much older than him that he didn't really pose a threat. And I was also so much older than him that I knew I couldn't really do anything back to him because my mom would be like, you're seven years older than him and, and you should know better. And so it, it actually kept things working pretty well. Well, one day, I'm 10 years old, we had just moved into a new house and I was, I was in my, my bedroom and I was hanging posters on my wall. When I was 10, I was obsessed with baseball. Ken Griffey Jr. was my, my favorite player and I just like, I, I just basically wallpapered my room in Ken Griffey Jr. posters. And so I'm, I'm hanging up Ken Griffey Jr. posters and in walks that three and a half year old punk brother of mine to ruin my day, because that's what he did. That's what he lived for, was how can I make my older brother miserable? How can I ruin his day? So he walks in my room, and he's doing something stupid. I don't remember what it was. And, and as a 10-year-old, you know, I didn't have any, any patience for it. So I'm like, Aaron, go away. Get out of my room. It's a very typical fight between siblings, right? Like, this is my room. Go get out. And this was the first time I'd ever had my own room. This was the first house we moved into where we weren't sharing a room. So I was like, this is mine. You get out. And he didn't like that answer. And so he got violent with me. And that was pretty normal for Aaron at that age. He would, he would punch me, but he was like three and a half. It didn't hurt. Sometimes he would jump on top of me and try to strangle me, like try to choke the life out of me. But again, three and a half couldn't really do much damage. This time, though, he did something he'd never done before. He stabbed me. 
legit. He grabbed a pushpin from the dresser. It was one of the pushpins I was using to hang the posters on the wall. He grabs this pushpin and he runs and he just jabs it, just jabs it right into my leg. And it sticks. I have been stabbed, people. I'm not sure if hospital attention is necessary at this point or not, but I'm in pain. Have you ever been stabbed with a pushpin? Anyone in the room with me? Has anyone ever had that experience? Are you serious? I honestly did not expect one. I want to hear, hear those stories later, all right? So I've been stabbed, and I'm in pain. It hurts. And then I have this idea, because, you know, pain breeds, it breeds creativity in a powerful way. And I'm an older brother, and, you know, I said he was a horrible human being. So was I. I'm an older brother, and I'm thinking, how can I traumatize him in retaliation for this? And I knew, I knew I couldn't stab him back, because if he runs upstairs with a pushpin in his leg, I can't look at my mom and be like, well, he did it to me first. You know, that's not going to fly. So I had this awesome idea. I pretended to die right in front of him. You know, he's three and a half. He's dumb. He doesn't know anything, right? Like he, has, he has no idea how circulation works and where major organs are or anything like that. He just knows that stabbing is bad. He knew that. I know that. And so, so I'm like, Aaron, you stabbed me in the leg. And then I start doing this whole Superman with kryptonite thing where I'm like, I'm like staggering and I'm, I'm slurring my speech and then I just collapse and fall. And I lay there lifeless. And for two minutes, nothing. Silence. And then I hear him start to say my name. And he's like, Justin? Justin? I don't move. I don't, I don't do anything. And then he starts shaking my arm. And he's like, I can hear him crying, which is actually a beautiful thing. <laughs> Not, I realize I sound so bad. I wasn't a Christian yet, by the way. So, like... <laughs> Number one, it was a beautiful thing because up to that point, I didn't know he really loved me. Like, I had no idea that he actually cared about me until he thought he killed me. So, like, he's crying, and I'm thinking, well, at least I know he cares. And he's, he's, like, starting to really freak out. He's shaking me, going, like, Justin, Justin, like, I've convinced my brother that he's murdered me, you know? And I realize now that that's, that's got to be, like, severe trauma. <laughs> and he's even told me that's one of his earliest memories in life. <laughs> Because, like, you don't remember much until you're four or five, right? That's one of his earliest memories. But I just laid there, and I milked it for all it was worth. And, and I, I wake up, and I'm like, ha-ha. And then we go back to our normal dynamic. But, but I faked my own death. And if you, by the way, if you're judging me, remember, I was stabbed, okay? I know it's a little blade, but it counts. I have been, I was stabbed. I, I don't know how common it is to fake your death. I'm not sure how many people have a story related to that. But I do know it's incredibly common to fake life, you know, to fake, to fake living. I love what Ben shared during Lord's Supper, that Jesus is life itself, that he offers us life. It's a promise that we see constantly in scripture. John 10.10, 10, it's one of the most famous. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some translations say, I've come that they may have life and life abundant. And what Jesus is really promising there is that, that I'm coming to give you something you don't have. Why would you offer life to someone who's alive. Like that just doesn't, that would be like offering a fish water. Like what, why? I don't need this, you know? Why would you offer life to someone who's alive? And, and what we find in, in the teachings of scripture, what we find with Jesus is that when he talks, excuse me, when he talks about life, he's talking about something very different than what we think of when we think of life. That Jesus is actually describing a quality of living, a kind of life that is so much more alive 
than any life that, that we've experienced, that it makes what we've experienced up to this point seem like death. That Jesus gives us life, and when we have the life of Jesus, we don't have to fake life anymore. We don't have to go through the motions. We don't have to pretend like it's all okay when we're a mess. We, we, don't, have to, we don't have to say fine every time someone asks us how we're doing. We don't, have to, we don't have to wonder why we have no joy, we have no peace, we have no, no certainty. We don't have to go through that because when we have the life of Jesus, we have something that conquers all of those things, and it's the life abundant. But we have to receive this life, and actually what, what Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 teaches us, the scripture that we're going to study for the next several weeks is that is that we've got to realize that we're dead. That we actually need to be resurrected. Usually when we hear the word resurrected in church, we think of Jesus. You know, he rose from the tomb, and that is the, the story. But Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 talks about a different resurrection. And it's ours. It's our resurrection that we need to be brought to life by Jesus. And so let's go ahead and dive into this. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 2. If you don't, we'll put it on the screens. If you have our mobile app, it's all there connected to the message. And you can even take notes. It's really cool. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers, and the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of all those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And up to this point, this is kind of bleak. But then check this out, a huge turn. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. I'm going to read that verse again because it's powerful. Everyone, everyone real quick, say, but God. All right, here we go. That's a big but with one T. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to all of us in future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit from this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. All right, so that's what we're going to go through, and it's a lot. Like, Paul is dense. When he writes, he's the author, the Apostle Paul of Ephesians. When he writes, there's just so much going on, and in these short few sentences, we go from being dead to being living masterpieces, doing the good things God planned for us long ago. That is a big jump. And so we're going to walk through this, we're going to explore this, and we're going to look at what it means to live the resurrected life, to live this, this different kind of life that, that brings us to life, that makes us come alive in ways that we haven't before. And we're going to start with those first four words, because Paul doesn't really mince words here. He doesn't, he doesn't like, ease into this. He just says, once you were dead. And you might be thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I... I have been alive all this time. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I, I wasn't. I'm trying to think, when, I, when, I, when was I dead? Oh, I haven't been yet, right? That's, that, that's in the future. But I'm alive, and yet Paul talks past tense and says, once you were dead. And what's he talking about? Well, when he, he says the word dead, he uses this Greek word, nekros, and it can mean two things. It can mean physical death, 
but it can also mean spiritual death, and that's actually the context that he's using it in. He's saying once you are spiritually dead. In other words, you are spiritually inactive. You are spiritually without power. You are spiritually unable to function as you are meant to function. You are devoid of power. You are devoid of strength. You are not able to do what you were created to do because you were, spiritually speaking, dead. Not, not dying, not weak, dead. And, and that might sound confusing to us, but it's interesting. We actually use that same word to mean something very much like what Paul is talking about almost every single day, at least every week. Like, how many of you have a, have a phone on you right now? Okay, awesome. How many of you in the last week have said the phrase, my phone is dead? Show of hands real quick. How many of you you said that? Yeah, my phone is, is dead. When you said that your phone was dead, did someone console you? No. When you said that your phone was dead, did you go bury it in the backyard? No. Because, because when you said your phone was dead, you didn't mean that it was physically dead. Physically, it's fine. It has all of its components. It, it's capable of, of doing whatever it needs to do. It's not broken or anything like that. Physically, it's all there. But when you said your phone was dead, what you meant is it has no power. It has no charge. It is not able to function as it's intended because there is no life in it. It's dead. There's no, there's no spirit in it bringing it to life. And that is the same way that Paul is using that word dead to describe us. He's saying that, that, that before we knew Jesus, apart from Jesus, we were spiritually devoid of power. And that's a really big deal to Paul because what we have to understand is that, that from his perspective, our spirit is far more valuable than our physical body. Like we might read that in our culture and go, well, yeah, spiritually dead, but not physically dead. You know, who? thank God I'm not physically dead. <laughs> That'd be real bad. But the reality is to God, spiritual life is, is far more real than physical life. That it's our spirit that, that, that is above our flesh. We have this tendency in our world to only buy into the flesh. Like, I, I want to see it. I want to be able to sense it with my senses. Someone asked once if faith is nonsense. I heard a pastor say, absolutely, it's nonsense because you cannot, you cannot explain it or describe it based on the five senses that we have as human beings. It is a nonsensical thing, right? We, we have this tendency as people to place the physical ahead of the spiritual, but, but God never does. So when Paul says, hey, you are spiritually dead, this is a big deal. Like this should actually concern us. The idea of spiritual death should concern us far more, far more than physical death. In fact, Jesus actually emphasizes this in Matthew chapter 10. He's talking to people about, about not being afraid of what other people think of you, what other people can do to you. In verse 26, he begins by saying, but don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. When I, what I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Now stop right there. That's an interesting piece of advice. Because this was real for Jesus' followers. Following Jesus was, was risking your life. And Jesus says, hey, you know those people that want to kill you? Don't worry about them. All they want to do is kill your body. And we might go, uh, yeah, that's kind of a big deal, Jesus. But he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. And then he goes on. He says, fear only God. Right? He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? 
One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. So this is a very encouraging scripture. I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, don't be afraid because God is with you. He loves you. He values you more than any other part of creation. He's so obsessed with you that he knows how many hairs are on your head. That's crazy. Like, that's legitimately crazy. If, if, if you're here, like, anyone here ever count the number of hairs on the head of someone you love? Like, you've actually counted them? You know the number? Okay, police officers, restraining orders for these people. They're free. They're weird. Like, don't do that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Unless the person you're with is bald, and then that makes all the sense in the world. But, like, seriously, God is so in love with you that he knows that many details about you. And Jesus says, you should be, you should be encouraged by this. This should give you strength. But buried in this incredibly encouraging conversation is this statement that Jesus makes. Why worry about your body? It's just a body. Worry about your soul, your spirit. That, that is what is real to God. And we see this emphasized so often in Jesus' ministry. In Mark chapter 2, for example, verses 1 through 12, this, this guy is brought to Jesus. He's paralyzed. He's been paralyzed for as long as we can tell his whole life. And people hear that Jesus is in town, he's in Capernaum, and so his friends, the friends of this, this paralyzed man, they bring him to Jesus. But there's so many people that have gathered at the house Jesus is in to, to hear him teach that they can't get through the door. And the people there, I guess, are so enthralled with Jesus, they don't recognize that the guy's there, or they're not willing to, to move or to budge. And so his friends have to take him to the top of the roof, and they break through the roof, and they lower this paralyzed man right in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at this man, and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's kind of like, what? He's paralyzed. The Pharisees who are there, they're mad, the religious leaders, because they're like, how dare you blasphemy? You know, just blasphemy. You can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, he goes, okay, all right, I know what you're thinking. Only God can forgive sins. What is harder, me saying to this man that, that his sins are forgiven or me saying, hey, stand up and walk? And they're like, well, you know, stand up and walk. He says, okay, stand up and walk. And the guy gets up and he walks and everyone freaks out. Everyone's amazed. It actually says that the people were amazed and they say, we've never seen anything like this. But what was it that amazed the people? It was the physical healing. The spiritual healing that took place before that, that's what Jesus prioritized. Here's a man in front of Jesus who can't walk. And in that society, by the way, that meant you can't do anything. You are only a beggar. That is your only option. In staring at a man who cannot walk, Jesus starts not with his physical need, but with his spiritual need. He begins with the spiritual because in the eyes of Jesus, what breaks his heart more than physical pain is spiritual death. And so he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And then he doesn't neglect the physical, but he starts with the spiritual. Jesus always, always, always prioritizes the spiritual over the physical. Probably his most famous teaching on that is, is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. He said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work. They don't make their clothing. Yet Solomon, who, who by the way was the richest king in the history of Israel, Solomon in all of his glory was not, as, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. 
And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, put the spiritual first and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. He'll take care of the physical. We have this this tendency to put the physical ahead of the spiritual. That's just human nature. It makes sense. It makes sense. We shouldn't, we shouldn't feel horrible about that. We shouldn't feel like we're, we're missing it because that's just, that's just how we're wired. But, but God wants to rewire us and he wants to show us that, no, no, it's your spirit that matters most. And honestly, go back to that idea of your phone. Okay, I know I'm asking for a lot of hand raises this morning, but like, just go with me. How many of you right now have a phone that has some type of physical flaw? It has a cracked screen somewhere. It has, okay. Well, why, why haven't you replaced it yet? Because it still works, right? And the physical is not as important as the spiritual. It's physical health, so to speak. That's not as valuable to you as the fact that it's able to function, that it's able to do what it's meant to do, that it has power within it, that it has life within it. And so you can use it to do what you need. And yeah, there's some cracks, there's some breaks, but it's alive. And look, we live in a culture and a world that, that is so obsessed with the outside that's how it's been from the beginning. In fact, in, in 1 Samuel, whenever God was sending Samuel to pick David to be the next king, he told Samuel the prophet, he said, man looks at the outside, I look at the heart. We live in a world that tells us, hey, make sure it all looks great on the outside. Spend all this time and effort and energy trying to, to, to make your outside look as perfect as possible, not just your physical appearance, but your family. You know, like how many of you have that picture with all your kids and you're on the beach and you're wearing matching clothes and five seconds before the picture, you're like, shut up, everyone, shut up and take the picture. Shut your mouth. And you look at that and you're like, we're such a happy family. You post that online, like, we're wonderful. And then people at home, they see that picture in the midst of their children screaming and they're yelling, they're like, I'm a horrible parent. Look at these happy people, you know? We put so much emphasis on the outside, but look, it's the spirit that matters. It's that there's life within us. It's that there's a power that's from God that's fueling us, that's that's letting us live as we've never lived before. That's what we have to value. Because we used to be dead. But through Jesus, we have life. We'll go to verse four. We're skipping verses two and three. We're gonna cover that next week. By the way, I'll just, uh, side note, next week. If you've ever wondered why, maybe you're, you're a Christian, but you still struggle with sin, addiction, other issues like that. Like, man, I believe in God. Why, why am I still struggling with the same things that I used to struggle with? Next week's teaching is what that's all about. But Paul does this thing where he starts a thought, this is how Paul writes, it's, a, it's his style, it's unique, it's cool. He starts a thought, he gets like halfway done, and then he like goes way off and, and explores that thought, and then he comes back, he's like, oh yeah, let me finish the thought that I started with, and that's just how he talks. And so he does that here as well. You know, verse one said, once you were dead because of your sins and your, your trespasses. And then verse four, he says, but God. All right, we said that earlier. Once you were dead, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So we were dead, but now we're alive. And here's what's really cool. The life that that he gives us, it is not like the life we start with. The word that that Jesus often uses is eternal life. That's the word we see to, to describe the life that he offers us often in scripture. So for example, in John, 
John 17, Jesus is praying, and he's, he's talking in the third person, which is kind of annoying. But if you're God, you do what you want. So John 17, verse 2, he says, For you have given him, when he says him, he's talking about himself. He says, Lord, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent. This is the, the only way to have eternal life, to know God, to know Jesus. In 1 John 5, 11, Jesus' disciple John wrote, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life life. And that's because this, this idea of life, as, as Jesus describes it, it's not, it's not human life. Like, we, we would just call that existence. That's what God would say. That, that's just existence. That's just sort of being here. But how many of us know that you can be here and not really be here, right? He says, no, I come to give you eternal life. And when we think about eternal life, we always naturally go to, like, heaven, like, forever, with God, that sounds awesome, but that's after this life. But that's not what eternal life means. Yes, it includes that. Sometimes he says everlasting life. Sometimes he says eternal life. They're connected, but they're not the exact same thing. Eternal life is a different kind of life now. Think about it like this. Eternal life is, is a God life, a life defined by, by God in eternity and all that goes with that in our life now. So we can have the quality and the character of, of, of God's life, of eternal life in us. It's a whole new kind of life. And when you have that life, it's like your eyes are open for the first time and you see things in ways you haven't seen them before and you realize that, that everything you've called life before that, it's not life at all. It's like an imitation. It's just a cheap imitation of what real life is all about. And you've probably had an experience like that, right? You've, you've had something that you thought you understood something and then you experienced another version of it and you're like, oh, this is the real thing. Like, wow, th this is it. Like, nothing, nothing comes close to this. Everything I've had up to this point was just a cheap imitation, right? I have that with my, with my kids. I love my kids. And, and I have all these memories of my children. I was there at every one of their births, and I do remember those moments. Um, but they're not my favorite memories. <laughs> it's scary. It's so scary. I don't understand it. I mean, I've seen it four times. I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. That shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be possible. Whatever. So... The moment that I remember with the most clarity for all my kids is the first time they smile. The first time each of my children smiled, it's like, oh, this is joy. This is what joy feels like. Forget about all the things I've ever done to try to feel joy. That stuff, mm -mm. Watching my children smile, that is real joy. My newest child, I say it like it's, a, it's like a, a model of a car. Like the latest model uh, is Eli. <laughs> this is Eli. Look at that kid. Look at that smiley kid. He's a smiler. Of all my kids so far, like Lily was the smiliest, which is ironic because she is interesting now. But, uh, but like Eli, he just smiles all the time. And, and I become an, a fool to make him smile. I'm like that with all my kids. Just to see them smile, I'll do, I'll do anything. I'll talk, in tiny, I'll talk in funny voices. I'll like, I'll twist my face and distort my face in all kinds of weird ways. Like if you saw me, like a video of me at home trying to make my kids smile, you would have me committed somewhere because I act like a crazy person just to make them smile. I love it. And it's because when, when I see their joy, I'm filled with the joy that is so much more than, than anything I could have tried to, to get myself. My oldest boy, Liam, plays basketball. Have I ever told you guys that? Have I ever talked about? 
happen? If you're new, that's a thing. I remember the first time he hit a basket in a game. He was a first grader. And, uh, and I, like, I went nuts. And it didn't matter at all. It's a first grade basketball game. He doesn't even remember the game. He doesn't. But I went nuts. And, and when I was a, a student, when I was younger, I played basketball. And I remember hitting big shots in some big games. I remember this one shot that I hit that was like the pinnacle of my, of my high school basketball career. And it was a big shot in a championship game. And it went in and I got fouled. And it was like, ah, and everyone went nuts. That moment, nothing. Nothing compared to the first time my son hit a, hit, hit a basket in a first grade game. Right? Because when you experience real joy, which is like selfless, it makes all that other stuff minuscule. You're like, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. That's how it is with life, with Jesus. When you have eternal life, when you have this, this, this new real life that comes only from him, it's just different. It's a different quality. And it makes everything else pale in, comp- in comparison. That, that's why Paul says, you were dead. Like, you guys used to be dead but Jesus has given you life. And it only comes through him. It only, only comes through him. Paul once wrote this in 2 Corinthians four sixteen. He said, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every single day. Paul was going through all kinds of stuff, stuff we could barely even imagine. He was being tortured, he was being beaten, he was being imprisoned. And he says, look, I don't give up. I don't quit. I don't run out. Because even though my body is taking a beating, my spirit is coming to life more and more every single day. We have that. That's been given to us. That's been offered to us. We can have a kind of life that does not run out. We can have a quality of life that you cannot earn. You can't create it within yourself. I mean, think back to your, to your phone. I know I'm using this analogy. I'm running into the ground. But like, think back to your phone. When your phone is dead, can it charge itself? No, you could look at your dead phone and say, work, come on, turn on, get a hold of yourself. What is wrong with you? You could say that all day long. Nothing is going to happen. But it's when you plug it in, it's when you charge it, that's when it comes to life. And that, that, that thing is not capable of charging itself. We are not capable of breathing life into ourselves. We are not capable as human beings of coming to life in and of ourselves. But so often when we feel drained, when we feel dead, when we feel at the end of the rope, what do we do? We look within ourselves. And we try to figure out how, how we, can, we can pick ourselves up. We don't have to pick ourselves up. What we have to do is connect ourselves to our, to our Savior. We have to connect ourselves to our God. And then he charges us. He gives us life. That's what he does. That's what he does. And he's, he's uniquely designed to do it. He is the only source of power for your spirit. And worship team, you guys can come out and we'll, we'll wrap up. But here's the reality. We all know what it's like to live drained, right? It's my last time, I promise. Think about a phone, okay? <laughs> How many times, those of you have had the little things that pop up, like the alert that says battery low, you know, you have a choice every single time that comes up. You're like, ooh, I could go plug it in. Or if you're like me, you go, ah, <laughs> I'm sure it'll last long enough, you know. And how many times has my phone been dead in my pocket because, oh, I got the warning. I knew it was low. I just, I just, I decided to ride it out. 
That's, this, that's something we all have of a choice to make in our lives on a daily basis. Why was, why was Paul's spirit renewed every single day? Because, because Paul was connecting with his Savior every single day. And not, not in this religious sense. Not like, well, well, you have to wake up at 5 a.m. and you have to read three chapters of the Bible and then you have to pray for at least 20 minutes. No, no, like, like when, when God, when he stirs you, when, when, he, when, he like, when he speaks to you, when you feel something's missing and you feel like, like you're at the end of your rope, when you just hear that, that tug on your heart of God saying, hey, come to me, you just go to him every single day. Whatever, whatever emotion you have that is your, your built-in warning that you're running low, we all have that, right? Like my, mine, is, mine is, is like this stupid mixture of control and anger. When I'm, when I'm running on fumes, I start looking around at all the things that I think other people should have done. I'm like, why didn't someone should have done that? I can't believe that that's there. Like, I guess I have to do this. And so I start doing it. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I got it. Like, no, I mean, I just work all day long and, you know, whatever. And my phone blows up like 3,000 times a day, not because of you guys, but it, sort of. But like, it's like, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I, and I try to control it and I try to muster it. And, and that, that, is my, that is my built-in warning. Hey, you're running low right now. Stop and connect with him. Stop and just say, Lord, I need you. And like Ben said a few minutes ago during Lord's Supper, he's, he's not going to run out of life. He's never fresh out. Like he has an endless supply of what you need. And we do need, we need a daily recharge with God. Because this life, it has a, it has a way of sucking the life out of us but there's, there's nothing that this world can take from you that Jesus cannot give back and then some. It's impossible. You, cannot, you can't outgive God. And so if you're here today and you are, you're a Jesus follower, you have made the decision at some point in your life to follow Jesus, this week, just prioritize your spirit above your flesh. Just prioritize your spiritual health above your physical health. And, you know, if, if you've had a really crazy day and you're stressed out of your mind and, and, and you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know how it's all going to work, I don't know, maybe skip lunch and pray. You know, maybe, maybe sacrifice an hour of sleep if you need to, just, just to pray, just to be in his presence. You know, sometimes I've gone to bed and I've been so stressed and I know my kids are going to wake me up and I'm like, Lord, would you just give me like a dream? Like, will you speak to me while I'm sleeping so that I can at least feel something? And he'll do that. He'll give you what, what you need, but, but this week, this month, for the rest of your life, put your spirit above your flesh and get connected to your God as often as possible and let him fill you with life. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm telling you, there is no other source of life but him. Our, our world is lost. but he hasn't given up on it. And the way the we know that our world is lost is because our, our world is constantly screaming at each other, fighting, divided, blaming, right? There, there's, there's no consensus as to who is to blame, but there's total consensus that everything's horrible all the time. And that's because our world is looking to everything but Jesus 
for life. And I'm telling you, Jesus, he is the only source of life. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And if you want him, if you want that life, if you want to experience a life that is so great, that is so powerful, that makes everything you've had up to this point feel like a cheap imitation, then you just ask. There's no ritual you have to go through. There's there's no five-step process. It's just you and your heart right now saying, I need you, Jesus, I need you. I believe in you, come into my life. And as your church, we will help you walk that journey out. We will help, you, we'll help you along the way. But it starts with a confession of faith. And so I encourage you to make that today. That's between you and him. But we would love to come alongside you and celebrate that with you. So let someone know if you make that decision, go to the prayer room, sign up to get baptized, just do something so we can, we can come alongside you and help you. But for all of us today, let's come to life. Right? Let's, let, let's, let's not buy into the all the lies that we're gonna deal with this week. Let's, let's not buy into all the stress that, oh, it's too much, it's too much. It's not too much. There's nothing this world can throw at you that's too much. Not if you have the life of Jesus in you. Not if you have the Holy Spirit in you. It's not too much. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror. You're not a survivor, you're a conqueror. That there is a life inside of you that can conquer anything because you know that your God is on your side. You know that your God fights your battles. You know that your God is your joy, he's your peace that God is, is your rest, that he's your fortress, that he's your stronghold, that he's your rock. So just trust in him and let him give you life this week, all right? I love you guys. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for being the life that we need. We are not capable in and of ourselves of, of picking ourselves up, Lord. We are not capable in and of ourselves of, of waking ourselves up. We are not capable in and of ourselves of bringing our, our own bodies, our own spirits to life but you are. And so we're going to you right now. And we're asking Jesus that you fill us with your life. And pour it out, Lord. Give us more. You say, you say in your word that whoever comes to you will not thirst. For you are living water. And a bubbling spring will well up within us. And I pray, Lord, that we, we go to you that we drink from your well and that the life that you have comes alive in us. And we're gonna trust in that. We're gonna look to that this week, Lord. It's in your name we pray. It's in your name, Jesus, that we worship. Amen.